Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. COVID crackdown. Another dip in daily infections, but B.C. is still hitting troubling new milestones. Businesses react to the new mask mandate. As long as everyone's following the rules, uh, I think uh, we'll, uh, we'll be okay. As sports leagues adjust to new rules, changing the game for parents. And Barry Newfeld faces backlash again. I was referring to adults, not children. How the Chilliwack school trustee is defending an inflammatory Facebook post. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. BC's new COVID 19 case numbers dropped for a second straight day, but the province is still hitting several new thresholds. For the first time today, we marked more cases, uh, more than 25,000 cases, hit our highest hospitalization number yet, and crossed over the 7,000 active case milestone. We have 516 new cases today for a total now of 25,476. Sadly, we've had 10 more deaths, which means we've now lost 331 people to the virus. 227 are in hospital, 57 in the ICU. 17,477 people are considered recovered, and we are left with 7,122 active cases and just over 10,000 people in isolation. Let's bring in Keith Baldry for more now. And Keith, you've done a bit of a deep dive into the active case numbers and where we're seeing them and what that all means. Yes, indeed. The geography of our COVID pandemic seems to be uh, subtly changing, not to a huge degree, but sub, uh, uh, looking at the numbers of the last two days, Fraser Health no longer as big a place for COVID as it has been for weeks now, less than 60%. But when you look at the active case numbers, it tells a different story. Take a look at this graphic, which shows the where the active cases are located right now and how they've grown in the last 10 days. Vancouver Island is actually the biggest growth area right now for COVID-19. Northern Health is next at 100% growth in 10 days. Interior ticking upwards at 66%. Fraser House still the dominant uh, region, no question. But Vancouver Coastal hasn't had a change since uh, over the last 10 days in active cases. One of the big reasons why the health order was extended to include the other health regions, public health officials didn't like what they saw when they saw these numbers increasing on a daily basis. Daniel Coombs, a professor of mathematics at UBC, talks about the doubling rate at Vancouver Island, which is a lot uh, quicker and higher than elsewhere. Recently, we calculated the doubling time, and um, it seems to be below 10 days for, um, for Vancouver Island Health Authority. And so that means that even if there's maybe 20 cases a day at the moment, the projection is, and this is not a prediction, this is a projection, uh, if everything stays the way it is, um, that the number of cases will double roughly every 10 days. Um, and that would obviously lead to, to much higher case counts than we've seen at any point this year. Uh, in Vancouver Island Health Authority. 
So a doubling rate of 10 days here, 13 days province-wide. We don't get any more case numbers until Monday, of course, and that's going to be three days worth of numbers. So look at whether the cases are more than 1,500, which means perhaps we aren't bending the curve. If they're lower than 1,500 and the numbers start to go down to the 400s and 300s a day, that's very good news and it shows the measures are working. Hoping for that kind of a number. Thanks, Keith. No doubt. All right, there was a time when Canada was held up as a model for controlling COVID, but Ottawa says those days are gone. Canada is far from flattening the curve, as we've just seen, and the government says unless we change our ways, COVID cases in this country will explode. Aaron MacArthur has the sobering numbers. In a not-so-subtle reminder of the early days, the Prime Minister returned to Rideau Cottage for his press briefing Friday. We know what to do. We understand this virus much better than before. We need to reduce our contacts. We need to do it right now. November has been a trying month across the country, with worse yet to come. From B.C. to the Atlantic bubble, a surge in cases is showing no signs of slowing down. New modelling shows a best-case scenario of 5,000 cases a day. If we do nothing or increase our contacts even slightly, the cases could range from 20 to 60,000 a day. For public health authorities, this means implementing time-limited restrictions and control measures. The federal government has no intention of implementing nationwide emergency measures, instead relying on provinces to deal with the pandemic. The concern in Manitoba has reached critical levels. Stores allowed to operate at 25% of capacity and are now selling essential items only. In small communities, the positivity rate has reached 40%. Hospitalizations are up and there are questions about how much longer there will be free ICU capacity. Yeah, we have to maintain uh, our focus. In Ontario, Toronto and the Peel region reverting back to restrictions not seen since the spring. Restaurants reduced to takeout only. Non-essential retailers restricted to curbside pickup. While schools will remain open, gyms and hair salons will be shuttered for the next 28 days. We can't risk widespread outbreaks in our long-term care homes. Governments acknowledging the reality, COVID fatigue will make these new orders harder to implement. But there appears to be no other option. Aaron MacArthur, Global News. And some interesting insight when it comes to the vaccine, when and if that becomes available. According to a new poll, just 40% of those surveyed say they would get the vaccine as soon as they can. More than a third say they'll get it, but only after others have done so first and proven it safe and effective. 15% of Canadians and 13% of British Columbians say they will not get vaccinated no matter what. One in 10 are unsure. Well, there is no question 2020 has been a rough ride for retail. And with COVID-19 cases soaring as we head into what is traditionally the most lucrative shopping season of the year, consumer confidence is low. Jordan Armstrong has more on the biggest challenge small businesses are facing and what they hope British Columbians will do to help them survive the holidays. Walk along Vancouver's West 4th Avenue and you quickly lose count of the number of empty storefronts. A brutal year for retailers with slim to no expectations of a Christmas miracle. This is a question of consumer confidence. As case numbers rise, um, traffic and sales in small businesses and restaurants falls. Do you feel comfortable going into stores this year or will you be doing more of it online? 
I guess probably more online. Good for giants like Amazon. The challenge for the Retail Council of Canada and its members is convincing people they can still shop online, but buy early and buy local. Local stores all have websites. They all have telephones with people in their stores who are willing to help you. And, you know, they will generally deliver, but if they won't deliver, they'll have a curbside pickup. This is also the most lucrative time of year for many in the food industry. The owner of Bruno's Corner Cup in Kitsilano fully supports the new mandatory mask order, even though it appears to have cost him a long-time customer. Didn't want to wear a mask. He said, I won't be coming back then. He goes, this is uh, BS. So I said, okay, that's fine then. So there's nowhere he can go. Everywhere's going to require a mask. I don't know why people are fighting it. Fortunately, the vast majority of his customers are on board and have been for months. Their buy-in, key for the case count and the financial bottom line. As long as everyone's following the rules, uh, I think uh, we'll uh, we'll be okay. Jordan Armstrong, Global News. A Vancouver Island luxury hotel is shutting down temporarily due to rising COVID-19 cases in B.C. and across the country. You'll see a hand sanitizer station right here. The Wiccan Inish Inn reopened in late June under strict pandemic protocols. But Tofino's landmark hotel on Chesterman Beach is not accepting any new guests, citing the safety of the West Coast communities as its top priority. The move comes after Dr. Bonnie Henry asked B.C. residents to forego all non-essential travel to curb the spread of the virus. The inn hopes to reopen on December 8th or once the current restrictions ease. The union representing B.C. teachers is frustrated that schools were left out of the provincial mask mandate. While Dr. Bonnie Henry says classroom transmission of the virus has been minimal, some parents are threatening to keep their kids at home to send a message to government. Richard Zussman reports. A request to parents. We're asking families to really help support us. Um, in encouraging that culture of mask wearing at school. A day after the provincial government announced mandatory masks in indoor public spaces but excluded schools, teachers were asking for help. I think the reason Dr. Henry gave for expanding the mask mandate to businesses is to help businesses with enforcement. And we, we think a similar thing would happen in schools. The teachers' union asking parents to contact their local MLAs as well. Two Langley moms have organized a school sick-out, a call to keep kids home from school on December 1st to show frustration with the government's plan. We need to have smaller class sizes. We need to have a mask mandate in schools for those that can wear them. And we need some more online options. There is a requirement to wear masks at schools, but only in common areas, and it isn't consistently enforced across the province. There is also a push from parents for more online options in order to ease some of that congestion. The more options for those that can do homeschooling, that makes it safer for everyone as well. In Surrey, the number of school exposures has been so high the system is struggling to keep up, and two additional people have been hired to keep the school community informed. The question is, if this is such a moving target that, you know, how many, how many resources do you need and how often? The province has been criticized for not being fast enough to respond to outbreaks or exposures in school, and now the government is reviewing the way they deal with it. To have a coordinated ad- approach to identifying and managing uh, school exposures and outbreaks um, quickly. The hope from parents and teachers is that changes happen soon 
to help prevent any potential spread of COVID-19 in the school system. Richard Zussman, Global News, Victoria. And one day after the new COVID restrictions went into effect, there is once again confusion over just what some of the new rules are. Minor sports associations right across the province are struggling to understand what they can and can't do. John Waugh reports. No more soccer parents cheering their kids on from the sidelines. There are to be no spectators at indoor or outdoor sports. Those parents will have to join hockey moms and dads watching and waiting from the parking lot, unless they're team volunteers like coaches or a health and safety person. Parents want to come out. They're standing outside. Not sure why that's an issue at this point. Another key rule, no travel for sports outside your local community. The example given by the province, teams from Abbotsford can't travel to play games or train in neighbouring Chilliwack. We haven't received any information from our governing bodies about what that actually means for us. On Vancouver Island, that means a two-week pause on games for 6,500 players across 17 minor hockey associations. Just turn hockey back to the associations and the kids, rather than playing games, They just carry on with their ice time. Keeping games and practices within a single association has been the game plan for Ridge Meadows minor hockey since the start of the season. Our first and foremost priority right now is really just keeping the kids in the game. And the competition, the competitive piece, that's really second. That's icing on the cake. Despite mention that gameplay could resume, BC Hockey asking all associations to hold off until at least November 24th. We found that over this time, it's a lot easier to give more than to take back. New COVID sport restrictions seem to be followed by days of confusion. Even via sport, the organization that offers guidance to associations is left scrambling for clarity from the province. It would be nice if we had a little more notice prior to these um, uh, edicts coming down from, from Dr. Henry. Trying to follow the province's play often leads to more questions and answers, giving many players and parents plenty of extra development in patience. John Hua, Global News. A Chilliwack school trustee who's no stranger to controversy called out for using a slur in a Facebook post. The insult he used to describe members of the local media and how he defends it. Next on the News Hour. Hundreds of tour buses on the road to nowhere. Why they've been parked for months coming up. And a romance that's faced some challenges over the past 73 years. Queen Elizabeth and Prince Philip share some anniversary art later. Right now, though, a controversial Chilliwack school trustee is back in the headlines once again for all the wrong reasons. Barry Newfeld has been called out before for posting transphobic comments. And now there are renewed calls for him to resign after he used an ableist slur to refer to local journalists. Paul Johnson has more, including what Newfeld has to say. We would never tolerate that language coming from a student or any staff member in this district. It's no surprise public education professionals condemn use of the R word, the antiquated word for a developmental disability that's often used as an insult. So they were stunned when it was used publicly by the longest serving trustee on the Chilliwack School Board, Barry Newfeld. I was horrified, frankly. It happened amidst a feud Newfeld was having over coverage by the local paper, the Chilliwack Progress. Taking to Facebook, Newfeld listed his grievances, then used the R word to describe three journalists there. 
For those who are offended by Mr. Neufeld's words, one of the things that bothers them the most is that for decades, he's been a leader in education, a field where most people expect kids are discouraged from using words that are outdated, offensive, or diminish someone's humanity. I think there's no doubt that um, his position adds to the damage that can be done by this. Kelly Padden is the newly elected NDP MLA for Chilliwack, Kent. She says people shouldn't take Newfeld's comments as emblematic of values in her riding and thinks it's about time Newfeld found something else to do. I think that it is past time for him to step down. As for the newspaper, they weren't taking this too personally and said Newfeld's controversial presence on the school board made this a reflection of that discord and is now the focus of appropriate public attention and response. Hello, Barry. We caught up with Newfeld Friday outside his home, where he declined to apologize. I was referring to adults, not children. In Chilliwack, Paul Johnson, Global News. Up next, Vancouver makes history with its new fire chief. Obviously, I was really excited to be offered the position. The first woman ever to lead the province's largest fire service and what she thinks of her new role. Also today, Surrey introduces its first police chief. The big challenge ahead for Norm Lipinski. Crews are on scene to a four-car crash here northbound at the south end of the Alex Fraser Bridge. In the left and middle lanes, traffic is heavily backed up on every route out of Delta. Today's Lotto Max jackpot is an estimated $43 million. Lotto Max, dream to the max. I'm Trish Jewison in Global One, high above the Alex Fraser Bridge. Not a huge surprise, but October's provincial election that almost nobody wanted set a new low for voter turnout. According to numbers released today by Elections BC, only 54.5% of registered voters bothered to cast a ballot, a drop from the last provincial election when more than 61% headed to the polls. We did see a big jump in the number of mail-in ballot requests, though more than 718,000 requests over the last election. This was also the first election in which more people voted before Election Day rather than on Election Day. For the first time in its history, Vancouver's fire department has a woman in the top job. Karen Fry is already a trailblazer in an industry that's long been dominated by men. And as Kylie Stanton shows us, she's ready to continue breaking down barriers. Climbing ladders, shattering glass. For firefighters, it's just part of the job. But when you're a woman and have just been named the chief of one of the biggest departments in the country, it's history in the making. Obviously, I was really excited to be offered the position with the city of Vancouver. It's got a long history uh, and the largest uh, fire department in British Columbia, and one of the largest in our country. After an extensive nationwide search, the city of Vancouver announced Fry's appointment on Friday, citing her decades of experience and proven leadership in public safety. It was what we call an oxygen deprived fire. So for the past three years, Fry has been serving as chief for the city of Nanaimo. Prior to that, she served as deputy chief with the Surrey Fire Service. We have a lot of trucks on scene right now and we've got it pretty much knocked down at this point in time. Now she's adding Trailblazer to the list. When I was hired, there weren't many female firefighters or females in the fire service. So for me to be able to 
uh, be at this position is uh, good for, for little girls, it's good for little boys, and it's good for our whole community. But it's potentially life-changing for these young women who are considering a career in firefighting. Seeing the first female chief appointed in their hometown changes everything. She will be the face, and it's going to showcase that women can be fire chiefs, women can be firefighters, and I truly believe you can't be what you can't see. When Fry steps into the role in the new year, she plans to focus on her passion, public safety. But accountability, trust, inclusion, and of course, diversity will be at the core of her leadership. She knows its value all too well. No doors will be closing on her watch. I hope that anybody out there watching today know, knows that anything's possible. We're going to continue to work as hard as we can uh, to make a difference. Kylie Stanton, Global News. Just one of a couple of big appointments today. A major step forward also in Surrey's push to install a municipal police force. The city announcing that they've hired a former RCMP officer to be their first chief constable. Catherine Urquhart has more on the hiring of Norm Lipinski and the sudden cuts to the budget for the outgoing Surrey RCMP. Marching the RCMP out of Surrey was priority number one for Mayor Doug McCallum. Or was it? The newly announced Chief of the Surrey Police Services, Norm Lipinski, is a former member of the RCMP. To hire a, a police chief that has experience with the RCMP is a huge advantage um, to us. Lipinski served with the Edmonton Police Service before becoming Assistant Commissioner for the RCMP's E-Division in B.C. Most recently, he has been Deputy Chief of the Delta Police Department. Lipinski says those roles have prepared him for this job. One, he says, presents a rare opportunity for himself and the community of Surrey. The ability to also have a clean canvas and build a police department with the community, I think, is, uh, is, is very, very attractive. The Surrey Police Board announced their choice for chief as the city's proposed 2021 budget calls for a startling 25% reduction in funding for the RCMP. It's not clear how that reduction in services is going to impact personnel. Steve Rye, Deputy Chief of the Vancouver Police Department, was also considered for the position. Lipinski leaves his last job amid a controversy about how his department investigated Chief Dubord's wife Lorraine, who sprayed a woman in the face with water, resulting in a criminal investigation. Opponents of the transition to a municipal force say they fear the cost to taxpayers. If you're living in, your, in an average house in the city of Surrey, which is valued at $1.1 you can expect your taxes to go up 12%. How different will Surrey Police Services actually be compared to the RCMP? We won't know for some time. Plans to have the new department ready by April 2021 have been pushed back to the end of 2022, meaning the RCMP will remain in Surrey, that is, until the reins are taken over by former Mountie Norm Lipinski. Catherine Urquhart, Global News.
Well, BC's new MLAs will be sworn in next week, along with Premier Horgan's new cabinet. And that will be the end of an era for one minister in particular. Finance Minister Carol James will officially retire from public office after 30 years of service. But before she goes, she took the time to sit down with us for our leadership series, sharing with us the lessons she's learned during her political career, and even before that, as a child. It was modeled in our household every single day. My mom was involved as a teacher and teacher president. She was involved in the peace movement. I attended protests from the time I was a kid. I took my own school out on strike when I was in grade seven at, uh, at elementary school because they wouldn't let girls wear pants to school on a snow day. Um, so I, I really grew up in that kind of household where it was expected that you did something, that you got involved in a passion, something you really cared about. Well, more on that uh, that strike that she led when she was in grade yeah. seven tomorrow uh, for that in the full interview with Carol James. She'll also tell us about her mother, who, while very proud of her, has never been shy about calling out her daughter or the premier when she's disagreed with their policies. That's tomorrow at 1130 on Global and BC One. The risks of being in a high profile position, mm-hmm. and obviously a, a towering figure in BC mm-hmm. politics. Good work. Still ahead, COVID deniers dying to be right. Nurses can't fight the pandemic of misinformation and also fight the pandemic of COVID at the same time. One nurse's powerful social media post and the psychology of people who won't admit they're wrong. Also, new moms in the throes of addiction and a study showing the disastrous consequences of taking their babies away. Some extra volume over here for northbound traffic on the 99 to the Massey Tunnel as people use this as an alternate route to the Alex Fraser Bridge, which is dealing with a crash northbound at the south end. Sussex Insurance has auto plan offices inside Walmarts and the Real Canadian Superstores throughout BC. For hours and locations, visit sussexinsurance.com. Open every day. I'm Trish Jewison in Global One, high above Highway 99 and the Massey Tunnel. Drone footage shows hundreds of tour buses parked at a container port in Hong Kong. The buses have been off the road for 10 months since authorities banned non-resident arrivals into the city to stop the spread of the coronavirus. The measure has effectively decimated the industry, the world's leading tourist city last year, with some 56 million visitors. There are more than 55 million COVID-19 cases globally, yet there are still a lot of people who downplay the coronavirus pandemic and even deny that it exists. Global's Jasmine Pisano looks into the psychology behind that as a frontline nurse shares her experience with COVID deniers. Here I am, a nurse, like basically wrapped up in a tarp in all my PPE. He's here in a COVID ICU and... He's questioning the reality and the gravity, the severity of the situation. Registered nurse Ashley Bartholomew tells me about her latest experience with a COVID-19 patient who was downplaying the pandemic. He was a patient in the ICU and, you know, said that I think this is just a flu. I should, you know, take my vitamins and zinc and, um, you know, it, it's, uh, I'll probably be fine. She shared that encounter at her hospital in El Paso, Texas, on Twitter. The thread went viral, and it was retweeted thousands of times. Nurses can't fight the pandemic of misinformation and also fight the pandemic of COVID at the same time. The COVID-19 pandemic is the deadliest in modern history. Yet, as Bartholomew's story shows, 
Some hospitalized COVID-19 patients will say it's fake. It's not surprising that somebody who's resisted all along would also resist it, you know, at the very end of life as well. Mark and Eve Whitmore are an academic couple who have been studying pandemic denial. They say what could be happening with Bartholomew's patient is what psychologists call wrongness, a state that occurs with extreme confirmatory bias in which people make outright wrong decisions, despite receiving an infinite amount of data to the contrary. You set up all these defenses around yourself to, you know, to an imaginary way to protect yourself against that source of threat. The Whitmore say this contrarian type of thinking starts early on in life. The most complex forms of like self-deception in adulthood, like they get molded in childhood. In adulthood, they adopt what their parents have taught them all their lives. When talking to pandemic deniers, the Whitmore say to appeal to people's emotions. Many people care about, you know, their family members and uh, their friends. And, you know, it might be a way to appeal to them to say, well, you know, it's not really the sake of your health, but at least for the sake of the health of people around you. Uh, Can't you just temporarily wear this mask? Bartholomew says in talking to her patient, he eventually saw things from her perspective. He kind of said to me, wow, I... I didn't realize that it was as bad as it is. I was mistaken. Um, and I, I should probably tell everybody that I know that, that this is real. Jasmine Pisano, Global News. In Health Matters tonight, a new study has some sobering information about the forcible separation of children from mothers who use drugs, particularly in the indigenous community. As Linda Aylesworth tells us, the report shows having their child taken away dramatically increases a mother's risk of overdose. Life isn't easy on the downtown east side, even more so for expectant mothers who are addicted to drugs. Even though women were working extremely hard to keep their children, tragically they'd head off to deliver and then they'd come home empty-handed without their babies. Two out of five mothers with addictions have their children taken away from them in B.C. Those were just some of the findings of a study by outreach nurse and UBC researcher Megan Tumuth, who herself was a substance user over 20 years ago. We found that child custody removal was directly associated with 55% increased odds of unintended non-fatal overdose. For Indigenous women, the risk of overdose doubles. Indigenous women are also more at risk of having their children taken away because of their race. Racialized women in particular find themselves surveilled. They get asked a lot more questions. There's a lot more attention on on their ability um, to mother. A lot of those women don't even have... Um, the support of their mums or their grandmothers because they've also been, you know, traumatized. Hawk Feather, who has raised six healthy children while using substances, is also an outreach worker. Almost every woman that I have as a client has either had their children taken or run the risk of having their children taken. I think sometimes people think, oh, it's a, you know, these women overdosed. That's because they were, it's a good thing we took the child away. In fact, it's taking the children away that causes the despair that leads to the overdoses. Certainly, my experience of becoming a mother was also a great experience of recovery because it inspired me to um, you know, get well for my son. The study stresses the importance of keeping families together and providing the social supports necessary to do so. And in the rare event when we have to remove a child, that we must immediately support that mother. Linda Aylesworth, Global News. 
Next on the news hour, it's the longest marriage of any British monarch. And today, Queen Elizabeth and Prince Philip are sharing some of the joy on their anniversary. And it took a while, but finally some good news for a Vancouver Canuck stuck at the border with his tortoises. Queen Elizabeth and Prince Philip are celebrating their 73rd wedding anniversary today. Buckingham Palace releasing a photo of the monarch and her husband examining a handmade card by the three children of their grandson, Prince William and his wife Catherine. Elizabeth was only 21 when she married Philip Mountbatten at Westminster Abbey, November 20th, 1947. Her marriage to the Duke of Edinburgh is the longest for the any British sovereign. The 94-year-old monarch continues to carry out her duties. The 99-year-old Prince Philip has retired from public life. Happy anniversary. Happy anniversary. I wonder if they'll be binge-watching The Crown together. <laughs> Something tells me no. <laughs> That's right. All right, meteorologist Christy Gordon <laughs> joins us now with a look at our forecast. A bright spot this weekend, maybe, Christy. Yeah, it's pretty uh, certain that Saturday's looking very nice, which is good. Sophie, yes, it was a split in half this weekend. Saturday looking nice, Sunday not so much. I want to show you some photos from parts of the province that did see a bit of sunshine over the last few days because we've been socked in. So let's enjoy these, shall we? Bucking Horse uh, area, this is near the river there. Thank you to Patrick for that one. And this one looking out over the Kamloops, uh, Kamloops Farm, Gelatly Bay. Yeah, see, lots of people have been enjoying sunshine. Meanwhile, We've got a snowfall warning for the Coquihalla. Allison Pass not under a snowfall warning, but uh, we are expecting still significant snow on those mountain passes. Here's how much overnight, up to 15 centimeters for the Coquihalla as well as Allison or as Rogers Pass area. So the snowfall though and the rain that we're seeing right now will push out overnight. We've got sunshine on the way for you tomorrow, Sophie. That front though hitting the north coast and that's going to shift down towards the south coast on Sunday. At this point though, it looks like it may not move in until later in the day. So you may be able to carve out a dry Sunday morning at the very least. But wet and windy across the north coast, inland sections looking at sunshine, and that's the case across most areas and through southern BC tomorrow. Take advantage of it. It is November, and we don't often get days like this, or we haven't lately, that's for sure. Nine degrees as our daytime high, and as I said, we're hoping that that rainfall doesn't push in until later in the day on Sunday, and it's looking like it will because Monday and Tuesday are looking wet, although we could see a bit of blue sky on Wednesday. And I'll leave you with one last sunny shot with our central windows weather window. This is Destruction Bay, Yukon, which uh, doesn't look that destructive now, does it? It looks pretty nice. <laughs> it's a great name, though, that's for sure. All right, thanks, Christy. Gorgeous. An update on new Canuck goalie Braden Holtby. He has made it across the border with his two turtles. Holtby's wife tweeted out this afternoon, Welcome to Canada, honey and maple. Huge shout out to U.S. Fish and Wildlife for working so hard for us. And thank you for everyone's concern. Now, you may laugh at the image of Braden being stuck at the border with a tortoise under each arm. The family was missing a key permit for their pets, which stalled Braden and the two turtles yesterday at the border. Turtles or tortoises? I don't I can't, I'm gonna, I'll have to look tortoises? that up again. I don't know. We said tortoises yesterday. We'll go with tortoises. Yeah. Members of the family. Mm -hmm. All right. And uh, continuing on with the sports theme. Yes, yes, yes. I have no tortoise joke tonight. <laughs> uh, thanks to a game-winning sack by Carlos Dunlap, the Seahawks won big against Arizona. I can only imagine what it would have been like if the 12s were in there. 
Well, there were no 12s, no fans, but it didn't dampen the enthusiasm for a defense that has gotten better since Dunlap arrived from the Bengals. Also tonight, of course, satellite debris. Hmm. We totally stalk us in a field. Hmm. Well, I, for one, am thankful that we have COVID to thank for a good excuse to stay home and watch football all day Sunday. There's never been anything but staying home and watching football. It doesn't matter what's going on outside your window. Uh, when it looked like the Seattle Seahawks might not be a true 6-3 and three team, they upped their record to 7-3 and three by beating the team that beat them late last month. Last night, the Hawks held on for a win over Arizona, and the best part of that was Seattle's defense led the charge and won the game on basically the final play. Here's Murray set. And this ball game's going to end as Carlos Dunlap makes the play. This is what they brought me here for. So I'm just happy I could deliver. You know, PC was fired up. He almost tackled me on the sideline. That was crazy to see a, a head coach that involved. I could only imagine what it would have been like if the 12s were in there. Getting Carlos Dunlap in a trade from Cincinnati has made a big difference for the Seahawks' pass rush. In the three games he's been in Seattle, the Seahawks have 13 sacks, and they were able to contain a quarterback in Kyler Murray they couldn't lay a glove on just four games ago. He gets hit and dropped by Carlos Dunlap. But it's not just Dunlap by himself. The Seahawks' defense seems more in sync than it was earlier in the season. What it means is that the guys have arrived. You know, I can't keep telling you, okay, soon we're going to be feeling like we played together, you know, and we need some more time. I, don't, I, I can't say that anymore. We, we've, we've made it to that point, and now we really need to, we need to play good football, and there's no reason why we shouldn't. Offensively, all Russell Wilson's passes were to guys wearing green. No turnovers. And part of that was due to a better running game led by Carlos Hyde, normally the second string back. The next time Seattle plays against Philadelphia on November 30th, they will have their number one running back, Chris Carson, returning from an injury. That's the element of our football that makes us the style team that we are, and, and uh, it makes Russ's job different than it is when he has to throw the ball 40 times or 50 times. You know, He certainly can do it and loves doing it, and we don't mind doing it, um, but... Our football is better shaped when we're, when we're balanced and we're attacking you and we can play off of that. It fits the defense, it fits special teams. It's, it's the statement of our, you know, the way we play. BC Lions haven't played a game at BC Place since November 2nd of last year, but the CFL put out a schedule today for 2021. Maybe you could call it a wishful thinking schedule, but if a possible vaccine chases away the pandemic, then the CFL and the Lions will return after a year off. Tenth play of the drive. And it's into the end zone. Touchdown. What a catch. Johnson. The Lions season opener is still 29 weeks away, but just to have a schedule in front of them is a sense of relief for players and coaches who had their entire 2020 season wiped out because of COVID. Now there's a sense of purpose and optimism that the CFL will be back in 2021. There's going to be a lot of motivated, energetic people, and um, you know the players should be be healthy from that point of view of not played, not have been playing for a year.
That's probably the only positive in losing a season, giving the body a chance to heal. Running back Brandon Rutley tore his ACL in 2018 and feels he will be better than ever once football returns next spring. My body has felt the best it's ever felt. I'm feeling more like I felt um, when I very first started playing ball, just fresh, this freshness and eagerness to go. And I think a lot of people will feel like that, which is going to create a really 20, uh, exciting 2020-21 season. Of course, players only get paid for playing games, which means there's still a long ways to go before they get their first game check. Many players, especially the lesser lights, have struggled financially this year, like many people in society have, but it's also a chance for players to expand their horizons off the football field. During this time, it can essentially give you an opportunity to, to build a business, to build a brand or to finish out school if you didn't finish before, or start looking for that next um, uh, part of your life that's going to create financial freedom. But nothing replaces the juice of game day, and that's something that everyone is eagerly waiting to experience again. Getting out there on game day and competing and then what it feels like to win a game or a playoff game or a championship, you just you can't duplicate it, and I think that's what... Uh, sucks us all in to, to keep doing this. And the Toronto Raptors will start the uh, NBA season playing home games in Tampa Bay. So instead of we the north, it's now we the south. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> all right, thanks, Squire. And now here's Jay Durant with a preview of Global News at 11 tonight, Jay. Thank you, Chris. Langley RCMP are asking for the public's help in locating a new father who's gone missing. 32-year-old Joel Goddard was last seen leaving his Willoughby home on November 10th. His wife is obviously worried the couple just had a child. A search is set for tomorrow. And a snowfall warning is in effect for the Coquihalla. 15 to 25 centimeters expected tonight and another 10 to 15 by morning. Those stories and more tonight at 11. They got the right tires. Okay, thanks very much, Jay. I'm hoping for some talking animals and satellite debris next. Watch the Global News and 980 CKNW Leadership Series every Saturday and Sunday in partnership with Fortis BC Energy at Work. All right, Squire. Yes. What you got for Okay. So Meyer Department Store in Australia figures that uh, since we've missed a lot this year because of COVID-19, let's combine it all into one big Christmas. Got married in the kitchen, you turned 50 in your bed, finished high school in your hallway, and got christened in the shed. You swapped barley for your backyard, you abandoned Halloween, and it's hard to blow out candles when your cake is on the screen. The year was weird, that much is true, fires, floods, and lockdowns too, and we all missed so much along the way. So let's pack it all into one day and make it bigger than Christmas. Hip, hip, ho, ho, let's go. It's bigger than Christmas. Hip, hip, ho, ho, and here's how it goes. The Easter Bunny rides a sleigh. We'll raise a cracker for Father's Day. Pin the tail on the tree. Rudolph's at your box party. It's a roast turkey wedding cake. It's football. We missed it here, 
as long as you're socially distanced. That's true. Stay home. Uh, this one is from Deliveroo from the UK. Get delicious festive dishes from your favorite restaurants on Deliveroo. That's a lot of editing. <laughs> <laughs> the Big Knit in the UK is a charity, and uh, people knit for charity. And uh, to uh, sell this, they have anthropomorphic, anthropomorphic, pomorphic <laughs> sheep, I think. You need wool. I got wool. How much wool do you need? I like pigs. We're good. Um, so how did I get involved in the big knit? Well, <clears throat> sorry, your bum's in my face. Where was I? Yeah, so knitting was um, a bit awkward. Your bum's still in my face? <laughs> oh, that's better. Oh, look at you humans sitting there, scrolling through your insta-talk. I want to see you knitting, putting my wool to good use by making wee little hats. Bobble ones, lovely, bobbly, wobbly little hats. Do I need to open my eyes? No, no. Judy. Hey, Judy. Mm. We're totally stalkers in a field. Hmm. <laughs> and I quite like it. Liberating being nude. I've always fancied myself as a naturist. And you know what? People can use the wool for a good cause, too. Right, I'm going to do it. Right, here it goes. I think everyone, you know, got the message. Start bleating knitting. Get involved at thebignit.co.uk. Oh, don't, don't make it stop. I could <laughs> listen to that all night. Animals with accents are the ultimate. <laughs> Anthropomorphic. <laughs> I think that's. Oh, you you did it. I think I did it this time without hurting my tongue. Last word to Christy before we go. Thanks. Enjoy the sunshine, everyone. It should be nice. We deserve it. All right, for sure. Thanks, Christy. Have a good night, everybody. Good night, all.